This is a HeadGum Podcast. Before we start, I just want to say I hope you are enjoying uh, this current season, let's call it a season, of the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. Um, I will be back next week with at least one more new episode. Next week's episode is going to be about uh, race and gaming and technology. It's a really interesting and vital conversation that I will be presenting as part of this podcast, which I would almost define as non-vital conversations. Um, But next week's is, so I, I really hope you'll join us for that. In the meantime, I simply must let you know that this episode of the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show is brought to you by LiesGame.com, the only game made by me, Jeff Rubin. Um, if you've been listening, you are aware this is a game you play on your phone with your friends. It's kind of like a board game, but um, you use your phone instead of buying a board game. You can play over video chat, but uh, you can also play in person, and it doesn't require any sort of central computer. So even if you're at the park and hopefully being very safe, um, liesgame.com is still a game you can play as long as you have uh, a phone that can connect to the internet. Because it's a website, liesgame.com. The game gives you topics, and then your job is to come up with a believable lie about that topic to try to fool your friends. Um, And then the game will list all the lies your friends came up with, as well as your lie, along with one truth. And the truths are very preposterous. Um, They also sound made up, so you got to try to see if you can identify the truth from amongst your friends' lies. Um, I've gotten so much feedback um, from Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show listeners who are playing the game. I just want to take a moment, um, because there are a lot of people who played this weekend, which is really fun. And I can actually see the lies you guys are entering and, like, some of the most successful lies that fool everyone who is playing the game. So I just wanted to read. These are, like, actual lies that people who played the game um, just this weekend used. So one of the categories that you can play with is vintage baseball. I love seeing people play uh, the vintage baseball round because I think it might be the least popular topic in the game. Um, and let me tell you, like when I set out to make this game, I did not think, oh, we got to have a vintage baseball round. I don't care about vintage baseball. I'm sure you don't either. Uh, but to make the game work, I kind of needed to research facts that are true but sound made up. And when you start doing that, you get to old-timey baseball, like, pretty fast. Basically, everything that happened in baseball before 1930 sounds as if it is completely made up. It sounds like Calvin Ball. For this round, uh, the specific category was umpires in the 1800s. And uh, someone's lie that they used to fool their friends was umpires in the 1800s used stilts to see the entire playing field. I'm not going to tell you what the actual correct answer is, but it's so ridiculous that people thought umpires in the 1800s used stilts to see the entire playing field was more plausible than what the actual correct answer was. So not only is it um, fun to make up lies and fool your friends, but you also get to learn um, cool facts that really sound made up but are true. So the game is liesgame.com. Just go there on your phone. Tell your friends to do the same. Um, Thank you so much. And here's the episode. everybody, welcome to the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. I am Jeff Rubin, and today I am talking to Alex Schmidt, a writer and comedian you may know from his work at College Humor, where we met, as well as Funny or Die and The Onion, and so far you're like, okay, great, big deal, that's virtually every podcast guest I hear on any podcast, but on top of all of that, Alex is a four-time Jeopardy champion, he is the person responsible for the buffalo emoji existing, or the bison emoji existing, I guess we can talk about that, uh, and he used to host the Crack Podcast for Crack.com, but now he hosts a new podcast, which I love, called Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Alex, welcome to the show. 
Jeff, it is really good to be here. I, like it's it's a, I'm a long, long time fan of this podcast, and of course you, and it's, it's very exciting. I have to ask you some Jeopardy questions, even though this was a while ago already. How long ago were you on Jeopardy? Yeah, this was it aired in October of 2018, uh, and it taped that August. Yeah. So Conan O'Brien, talk show host Conan O'Brien, has a bit where he talks about how he went to Harvard and how after he got into Harvard. Every time he did something a little bit dumb, like, you know, you, you push on a pull door or you mispre- mispronounce nuclear or whatever, <laughs> someone is just like, and he went to Harvard. Can you believe this guy they let into Harvard? I wonder if, since you have become a four-time Jeopardy champion, if you've experienced something similar in your life where you do something where there's just an absence of thought for a moment and everyone jumps on you because you won Jeopardy. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's true, and it's great because it's like specifically loved ones and stuff. Because there's no like T-shirt or obvious marker to strangers that I did it. Uh, but yeah, that that comes up. It's it's pretty fun. Do you remember an example of something that you did, like something stupid you did, and then your your friends were like, "How did you win Jeopardy?" We um, not too long after that, we were moving apartments, and I lost the new place keys for like most of a day. Because uh, they fell out of my pocket and I did a bad job. But it's like, it's a lot of like, you know, nutty professor stuff, basically, will will be the thing that then uh, upsets people. Yeah. <laughs> so, Alex, we had the pleasure of working together for a few years. And you are very well liked. You are funny. You're great. You're creative. I oh. don't recall you being very competitive. Like, I don't think most people, right? Am I, am I, am I, is that fair to say that like, you're not a, you're not a super competitive person, right? Is that I, right? You know, I agree. Yeah, I, I think you have the right read there. I'm I'm weird where I also met one or two people and who were like fellow Jeopardy contestants where they're they're huge fans of all game shows and they love the like the the competition of knowing stuff on TV. And I think I'm mostly just a fan of Jeopardy. Like it's 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 just the one that I really wanted to do. And so I tried real hard when I was on there. But I can I can let a competition go. Yeah, it's it's not a problem. But did you have to like work up some sort of killer instinct when you were there and the lights were on? Like did you have to kind of drum that up in yourself at all? Yo, that that's a great question. I I think you do, if nothing else, in the sense that uh, you will get way up in your head about the fact that it is Jeopardy otherwise. Like, you kind of have to focus on, okay, like, these people are nice, but we're all here to play. And it's like it's like when you're watching a sport, you want all the athletes to try hard. You don't want them to be, like, so nice to the other team that they don't go for it, you know? So it's that kind of thing. You, you want to be up there having fun and also trying your best uh, without, like, hesitating. Did you? And be honest, Alex, be honest. <laughs> did you expect to win? Did you think you were going to win? Uh, the, the short answer is I thought I had a chance if like luck and bounces went my way. Uh, cause I had a, an interesting, like whole other step to my Jeopardy contestant experience where I think most people it's, you take the online test, then you do an in-person audition. And then if you're lucky, you get called in and you play. Uh, but there's like a, a liminal step for people who are LA local because they tape five games a day. And they uh, they want to have like backup contestants in case you know just something happens or they need an extra person. So I had a step where I was an alternate contestant for a day, and did not end up playing, but saw five games played for the taping day, and I could really see 
especially Final Jeopardy being such a luck element of the whole show. I think people know that if they watch it on TV, like it's obvious, but watching it five times in a row real fast in person, you know, you just focus on it more. Uh, and so I felt I felt like I could hang with people, and also I just needed uh, stuff to turn out when I happened to be up there. Uh, and luckily it did. It was great. When did you realize, like, when you were up there, like, did you have the presence of mind to be like, I am winning this thing. I might win today. <laughs> I So my first game, I was trailing going into Final Jeopardy. So I never had that feeling until it was done. I, I felt that feeling for, like, starting about the two seconds before I won. Uh, but then you, like, uh, you only have about ten minutes between games, because, again, it's, like, five a day uh, with a lunch break. But... Uh, I you win and then they briefly film you shaking hands with Alex Trebek and then you are brought into another room where you need to change your clothes very quickly to create the illusion of a day passing. Uh, And so I remember looking at myself in a mirror and like mouthing to myself, did I win Jeopardy? It was a really uh, strange experience uh, and uh, in in obviously the best way, Uh, but it's a very sudden feeling that hits you. And 10 minutes later, you're like already playing game two. Like you don't even have time to enjoy it. You're already in the middle of another game. Were all four of your games like right in a row like that? Or did you have a chance to like sleep between any of them? Yeah, I, I, cause it was technically five games played cause I won four times and it was my first game was first thing in the morning and my last game was end of the day. So it was a sort of, wow, an it was all challenge. one day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's incredible. I watched the whole thing and I never, it never occurred to me that's so, that, that was how it was working. Yeah. So I, this that that's an exciting day, right? Like, I mean, yes. <laughs> do you does it get more exciting as time goes on, or is it like, all right, now I'm in the rhythm? Like, I I know what winning feels like. Like, you're kind of used to it. Like, you get more or less nervous as the day goes on. You know, I I I think I had an interesting mental wrinkle there too because I have been to like a few sets for shows and like and I'm not a professional actor but like every once in a while you're a performer in something on a set so it also felt like that kind of thing because like like eventually I started chatting up the the crew guys who mic you and and it's a very friendly one if people get one takeaway about it go ahead audition for Jeopardy try to be on Jeopardy because everyone working there is incredibly nice they try to give you a great experience uh, but eventually it was like, it, it started to feel a little bit like a TV show I was part of the cast and crew of. And so you like... All in one day. This is a one day experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially especially on the lunch break, it was like, well, hey, yeah, Gaffer, how you been? Like that kind of thing starts happening. Uh, and and uh, obviously much more so for somebody like Ken Jennings with a massive run. But uh, yeah, it, it was an interesting thing where it just starts to briefly for a few minutes there be normal even though it is obviously not did you have any inkling after you won like three games are you like am i the next ken jennings like could i win 40 or 50 games or were you just like (laughs) i don't know let's see if i can do one more (laughs) i i because i remember going into doing it at all i told myself once you answer one question correctly It's as if you get, like, one hit in Major League Baseball. Like, now you're in the books no matter what. Right, right, right. That was my approach going in. And and so I was very unprepared for continuing uh, in that sense mentally. I I don't think I even hit the what if this is my next month's kind of thing, yeah. And I'm sorry to bring it up, but the losing game. (laughs) Like, why? Do you have a sense, like, 
what, why did you eventually lose? Is it as simple as like they ask questions that I didn't know the answers to, or is there like some strategic mistake you felt like you made? You know, I know I was tired. That's not an excuse. It's not a, it's not to hand wave it. Uh, and also, uh, both of the play, like, I mean, every, everybody who's a contestant knows what they're doing. And, but both of the players in that last game were particularly skilled. Like we were, we were all real tight going into final. Uh, they, they were both excellent at buzzing and answering. And, and so, uh, I don't know. I, I think it was a tough game. Um, that it's just sort of the way it is. Yeah. It, it was real close the whole way. We all knew final jeopardy and I, I just wasn't leading going into it. So that was that. Were there any questions where you buzzed in and like you didn't know the answer when you buzzed, but then you like kind of worked it out on your feet? Oh yeah, that's uh, a tactic people do, and I, I I don't really remember doing much of it. I, I my clearest memories of questions because I've only watched it the one time when it was on TV. Uh, with, oh, uh, that's you have you must have it recorded for like your grandchildren or something. Yeah, and I, I've got files. Yeah, uh, so that's good. Uh, they they don't give them to you. You have to kind of uh, use the internet, um, but uh, to to, <laughs> to keep it vague. But you did watch it once, and what did you think when you watched it? Yeah, I, it was. It, I, I one of the things I love about Jeopardy is that it airs on like different local affiliates, different places. And so, you know, we started watching like the local TV uh, probably like 10 minutes before it started. And so it it was just this out of body experience of uh, they're like wrapping up the local news. They did the weather. They did sports. Uh, a couple commercials air. And then, oh, Jeopardy, the show I watch. OK, la da da. And then you're one of the people. It's it's <laughs> it's a really, really cool thing uh, that you don't expect. Going back, watching it watching yourself what are the questions that you like have a clear memory of being there and answering um i remember my first daily double and i got it correct uh and the the answer was pitbull like the miami rapper musician uh and many of my family members thought it was very funny that i know stuff about pitbull but i know who that is mr worldwide (laughs) i'm on it do you have like a weakness as a jeopardy player you're like god i hope they don't ask about the presidents or you feel like you're pretty well-rounded I, I learned one playing. I don't know anything about dog breeds. Um, we, I, I've never had a dog growing up. I've never owned a dog. Uh, and then one of the games, one of the uh, entire categories was dog breeds. And I, I was lucky that the other contestants didn't steer us into it because I, I, I truly know nothing. I know if a dog is like big or small. That's about it. Do you still watch Jeopardy now that you've had the experience, you've been on the show, you won four times? Like, do you still watch it? And if so, like, has does the way you watch it is it different? Like, what, do you see the show differently now? Yeah, it's it's always been such an enjoyable TV show all around, and I think the the format and the host are what really makes it. Like, the, the guests kind of come and go, you know. Um, it's all. It was also. I did not. I, I expected like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll still watch Jeopardy after I play. I did not expect to watch it and see. Uh, a guy like James Holzhauer come along pretty shortly after I was on, uh, who who figured out sort of a, a borderline new entire tactical approach. It's really cool. Boy, I feel like I can't let you say that without explaining what it is. Can you explain, like, I mean, it's funny because Jeopardy is a game that's been played thousands of times over decades on TV, watched by millions of people. And yeah, here's a guy a year or two ago who actually figured out, like, a new strategy. What was that strategy? Yeah, it's a lot of um, like the the sort of classical way to play is start with the low dollar clues and work your way uh, uh, physically down the board into the higher ones. 
um, into the higher values. And what he figured out is I'll just start at the most expensive clues and I will hunt down all the daily doubles bubbles that way. And I will bet almost everything I can every time. Uh, and you, be, you have to be amazing at buzzing and amazing at knowing the answers to things to do it. But if you do, you can not only lock in the win real fast, you can also make a lot of money. Uh, and just nobody, people had done going, you know, classically physically down the board. People had done hopping around the board. Nobody had thought of this like uh, uh, gambler slash tactician approach of going maximum money, maximum answers every time. It's amazing. Because then I guess you have the opportunity to double your money with the daily double. So like that's why getting money earlier so that you have it when you encounter the daily double and you have money to gamble. That makes sense to me. But I actually want to go back to something you said earlier, which is you said the dog breed question you were in steered to. And this is what I don't get is like I know you want to find the daily double, but like you have no real like insight into where it is. It's just luck. Like the best you can do is just have control of the board. So you get it like, but all the questions get asked eventually. So when you say like no one steered you into the dog breeds, like what, what do you mean by that? Like, cause the dog breed questions got asked. So the, the funny thing is they didn't because, uh, each of the two rounds, there is a time limit on it. And there's also a thing, there's also a thing. The, the crew makes a point of saying to you, to, to all the contestants, like, Hey, if you're ahead, don't try to do some kind of delaying tactic because we will just edit that out in the edit and and it'll be the runtime that it is. But either way, like there is a cap around how long the round can go. And, and if people watch the show, they've heard that like doot, doot, doot. And that means sure, we're just yeah, out yeah, of time. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was... Great sound effects. Oh, yeah. <laughs> do they play them like loud or like you can hear those while you're recording? Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's all... It's all one of uh, just... I, it's just, first I'll say that uh, I just got lucky that we didn't get to the last, I think, three questions on the board, and they were all in the dog breed category. So that was how I got out of it. It, it was just So it luck. does matter. It does matter. Yeah. Okay. Um, but also, uh, one of the most exciting things about getting to play Jeopardy is, to me anyway, like when you go onto the stage and you see the set, it feels almost exactly like TV. Like it's not some kind of thing where you go to the set of a, a narrative show where it's in, in rooms in a house and it looks like totally a set, like, oh, there's the lights and everything, blah, blah, blah. Like Jeopardy's just sort of one presentational diorama kind of set. And so you walk in and it's like, oh, there's TV right in front of me. Like that, that's it. Uh, and so all the sounds, all the lights, it's all what you think. Yeah, it's, it's really custom built to like produce as much Jeopardy as possible as many times a day as possible in the smallest amount of space possible. Yeah, and they're pros. They really, they really know how to do it. You won on Jeopardy. What yeah. <laughs> now? What like what 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 I got like what do you do with game show winnings? Like, did you buy yourself something stupid? Did you like put it away? I, I mean, what do you what do you do with game show winnings? Yeah, I uh, they you don't strike me as a buy something stupid person. Like, I, I it's hard for me to imagine you uh, <laughs> like just like being like buying a Lamborghini the next day or something like that. Right. I'm I'm taping this inside my Bugatti. It's going great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. I so in, interestingly, my plan was I'll spend on one trip. I think, like, if I'm going to spend on something, let's go somewhere, collect an experience. That's a great adventure. idea. And it's very memorable. Like, that's the truth. Yeah, that's a great idea. Where'd you go? Uh, so far, nowhere. We, me and my partner were just busy. Uh, and then Corona started and I'm just kind of sad on it. So, so far, nowhere. Oh, but, man. but we'll work it out. Yeah. 
do you have any, is there like a dream destination you have in mind? Like this is such a cool opportunity. It's just like this, yeah, to just take this vacation. And I don't know, do you, is there somewhere in mind? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm somebody where almost all of my vacationing has been uh, in the U.S. Like I've, I'm trying to visit all 50 states if I can. But other, other than one semester abroad in college in Western Europe, I have not seen very much of the world. Uh, I think I'd, I think I'd really like to see like Roman stuff would be cool. Uh, so we were, we were looking a bit at like Eastern Europe, um, uh, some places in like Hungary and, and further down Croatia, things like that. Cool. Yeah. I think that'd be nice. Well, hopefully you'll get to take that trip soon. I'm sorry that you didn't get to do it before. Um, you know, there was this yeah. halt on, on travel, but Hopefully you get to do it soon. It sounds like you certainly earned it. Congratulations. It was very cool watching you. I mean, it was so exciting watching, yeah, someone you know on Jeopardy <laughs> and then win and then win multiple nights in a row. It got so exciting. So wait, you you already answered this, but how long was there between the taping and the airing? Yeah, it was. we taped middle of August 2018 and then it aired October of 2018. So were you walking around for those two months? I'm sure you can't tell anybody you won, but are you walking around and just like any, like you just like see someone on the street and they look at you funny and you're like, this motherfucker doesn't even know. I'm a four-time Jeopardy champion. <laughs> so I actually, I, we did, short answer, yes. We, we, but we, the most distinct one to me is we did the taping day and then uh, it was at the Sony lot in Culver City. And I, I used to live specifically in Culver City. So uh, I'm sort of like leaving the studio in like a haze and I realized like I should like sit down somewhere and breathe before I get on the crazy freeways. Like I should I should pull it together. Uh, and so I went to my favorite coffee shop nearby, Tanner's Coffee on Sepulveda. And there was a big line and it was kind of aggravating. And and one of the thoughts in my head in the moment was like, man, I just won Jeopardy. I can't believe I have to wait in this line. <laughs> this is stupid. <laughs> I shouldn't have to wait behind you people. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and then I, then I great. Uh, deflated my head and became humble again. But it was fun, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just for that one moment. Well, congratulations again. It was, it was very cool, very exciting. Ah, thanks um, so much. And yeah. I feel like we could fill a whole podcast talking about it. And yet, you have other interesting business to discuss, like this bison emoji. So yeah. this is something... Um, you did your own podcast about. You did a four-part podcast series called One Way to Make an Emoji. Am I, am I getting the name right? Yeah, it's called One Way to Make an Emoji, yeah. And it's a four-part series. It's like a limited series, I guess, um, about how you did this. But maybe we can cover some of the, the, the overarching, just kind of the, the major points of it. But if you guys are interested, I would strongly recommend uh, listening to this podcast because, all right, so it's even hard to describe what the verb is here. Like, you you didn't create an emoji because everyone, every handset manufacturer will make their own, draw their own thing that goes in there. Like, what exactly did you do here? What are you responsible for, Alex? <laughs> I, you should have just gone, what's your deal? Uh, you know, but, uh it was, it was, um, I've been using the word create because I can't think of a better one, but it is, it is a thing where I, uh, proposed an emoji and it was then the proposal was accepted by unicode which is the world governing body of the emoji keyboard like there is an official international organization uh, i know the name sounds like it's part of the united nations but it's not it's a, a group of tech people um so the i U submitted unicode yeah who is unicode like they exist they predate emojis they sort of taken on overseeing emojis but yeah. I guess, if, am I describing this correctly? It's uh, yeah. a consortium 
of people, and I think it's like no one's job, like they don't have a, a headquarters somewhere, but it's just like these are volunteers from the tech industry who are working together to sort of standardize um, some elements of tech so that computers are able to speak to each other. That includes the way text is formatted and communicated and just like the way alphabets are formatted and kind of coded into computers. We want to make sure that they're all on the same standard so that, you know, our computers can all talk to each other, especially our phones and whatever. And this is something they've been do at for a long time, but then recently they've sort of also started overseeing emojis, which is obviously like, you know, the alphabet. Once we got the alphabet into computers, we'd have to revisit that very often. There's not like new letters very often, but emojis is like this ongoing thing. Have I described yeah. it correctly? Is that it? No, that's, okay. that's all precisely right. Yeah. Okay, so you had to make a proposal to these people, and did you come at this from the angle of, I want to make an emoji, or did you come at this on the angle of, like, the bison needs to be celebrated? Oh, um, both. And I guess, and I always try to try to let people know, too, that, like, and, and you'll hear it in my miniseries podcast, but also a big spark for it was an episode of a whole nother podcast called Welcome to Macintosh uh, that they, they then featured on another podcast called 99% Invisible. Like there's a whole family tree of podcasts here. Um, but a, a journalist and podcaster named Mark Bramhill decided to just uh, do it for the reason essentially of, I just want to make an emoji. Um, and so he proposed one called Person in Lotus Position, which was the final name of uh, what I think of as like a guy meditating, like uh, sort of with their legs folded. And uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so he, this is an emoji we can use. I've used this emoji. Sure. Yeah, it's just it's just on everything. And also and I mean, depending on when this comes out, but uh, it'll be later this year. The bison is on your device. Uh, also, specifically on the Twitter keyboard, it's already there. So if you want to tweet it, uh, you can do it. Um, but he uh, this guy, Mark Bramhill, went and explored that. Unicode organization and found out about it. And I, for a lot of reasons, but including just excitement about creating an emoji, I uh, proposed one. There's a guy I interview from emoji, or sorry, there's a guy I interview from Unicode on the podcast. And he at one point described it as leaving a handprint on the like wall of the digital cave, which is really uh, just wow. beautiful way to put it. I guess he's thought about it a lot. Jeez, yeah. I see how that guy got into Unicode. That is quite a metaphor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I should get a Unicode person on this podcast. It's such a it's it's such a boring but um, essential thing that we touch like a million times a day. You know that like it's such a boring yeah. thing, but it's like such an integral part of our such a critical part of like the infrastructure of our of our lives these days. So okay, so you heard. You just like heard this thing about making a podcast. It gets your mind going like, oh, what could I make a podcast about? That sounds really fun. And then you or end up with the idea of bison. Yeah, yeah. And sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess like, um, you know, so what's step one? I don't know. I want to make a bison emoji. Now what do I do? Yeah, it was um, they have deadlines for each round of submitting proposals. And so my first one was, OK, uh, just just put the deadline on the calendar. Then I'll work toward it. There's also uh, it's, there's sort of an Easter egg within within the show and the process of Jeff Rubin being part of it. What? Oh, who knew? Oh, I know. I want to get to this. <laughs> I love this. I'm very excited about this part. Because, um, but that's yeah. not. Is that early on? Uh, we'll get to that. But is that is that early on in the process? Yeah. I, so I I think like my first step, other than the deadline, was Unicode has a very helpful, but but also ultimately just very dense because there's so much to it. Uh, they have a very helpful guide on what the parts of an emoji proposal are. 
And I read through it and I said, okay, I can research or figure out or write up every part of this except art. I do not know how to draw. Uh, I, I could learn, I suppose, if I, <laughs> I took the time and pulled this together. But I don't know how to draw. I don't know how to make the sample art for this because they want color and black and white samples of what this could look like. As Jeff said, every developer will draw it their own way afterward. They just want like a mock-up. Um, but I said, oh man, how do I get art for an emoji? Like, I have no idea how to do that. And uh, who who might happen to know this in my life? One of the first people I asked was Jeff Rubin. And then he pointed me to Julia Heffernan, who's great and, and did an amazing job of mock-up art of a bison emoji that's now in the uh, official successful proposal. She did it. Yeah, Julia is an artist who does a lot of work in emojis. She is great. Um, she did the uh, – we did a video where she like, kind of talked about it when I was briefly doing Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show videos, and you can see that on YouTube. And she, in that video, made the emoji that I currently use. It's like a Jeff Rubin emoji that I currently use for my Twitter avatar and probably some other stuff too. She So I put you in touch with her. She did the artwork for you, yeah. and then a few months later, I got an email from you like, this was accepted, and at this point, I, 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 as listeners may have realized, I had been a little sparse on Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin shows for the past year, but I got that email, and I was like, this is, we're doing a podcast about this. This is an incredible <laughs> thing that's happening right now. So you reached out to our mutual friend, Julia, um, who's also like a college humor adjacent person, and yeah. she, um, she did the art, but this is not just like, you didn't just like write a paragraph and include Julia's art. I mean, this is a proposal which you can see online because I guess Unicode publishes all the proposals or whatever. Yeah. This is a seventeen-page proposal, Alex. This is a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it. I. I don't think I'd written a. I kept thinking of it as a paper, like like from undergrad history degree. Like, oh, I'm writing my paper on the bison and why it should be an emoji. Uh, and in talking to the guy I met from Unicode, whose name's Greg Welch, he's great. He uh, at least implied the idea that Unicode makes the proposal process pretty dense and pretty substantial so that they don't just get flooded with, oh, hey, I That's want a funny. frowning poop. Like they, they want people to be really right. uh, uh, way, way into the thing that they're proposing. So what does Unicode want to know? It's like bison emojis. It's like, I don't know, sure. There's like, already 50 animals like bison's a pretty cool animal like seems like a reasonable proposal like what do they want to know in order to really be sold on the idea yeah they uh that's the key question and they they want sort of a range of stuff it's it's in a lot of ways good that the proposal needs to be so extensive because that gives you a lot of different uh sort of buckets to fill with this is why it's important that's why it's important um, part of the, at least when I did it, uh, part of the system was that you needed to prove, um, like statistically and through looking at metrics of things, how much people are searching for the name of the emoji or looking for the term or interested in what it is. Uh, and then also finding a lot of, um, uh, like, Hey, here are all the ways it could be used. Cause look at all these people doing hashtag bison burger or bison hunting or bison tattoo or, or any other, uh, way that the thing seems to be popular. Uh, and you also have to stack it up against what they consider the representative emoji in its category. Uh, so they said that in my category of animal-mammal, the representative emoji was elephant. So I needed to indicate that the bison is at least kind of as popular as the elephant, which is extra hard to do with this animal because in America we pretty much call it the buffalo, and in other places they call it the bison, and so I had to do a lot of like crossover indexing statistics for both animals and like 
cutting out stuff referencing uh, Buffalo, New York, even though that is another way you can use it, cutting out Buffalo food. Uh, it was a lot of uh, assembling stats and figures and things. Uh, and then also sources about history and science and uh, also ways people could use it as, as a figure of speech. Um, and also comparing it to existing emoji. You want to show them, hey, there's already uh, three different emojis for a pig, like the body and the face and just the nose. Why don't we have one for like the the national mammal of the United States, the bison? That pig thing is crazy that they have three different like layer of pig emojis. Yeah. Um, that is, I have noticed that. I also notice all the animals are mostly facing right, I want to say, except there's like one or two odd oddballs who are facing left. Did you have like, is that part of your proposal? The art is up, once we say there's a buffalo emoji, it's up to Apple or Google or whoever yeah. to like interpret what that means, which way it's facing. Like your proposal doesn't have any prescription for how the buffalo should be represented, right? Yeah, and there's the option to tell them. Uh, like, one of the very last things in the proposal, they say, like, please provide any specifics that developers should do for the art. And I told them, do it however you want, uh, mainly because I just I just wanted it to work out, uh, but also because it's an animal. Like, it is what it is, and, and they'll draw it uh, accurate to the animal, I'm sure. Like, I, I had no concerns there. Um, what are the, like, so what are some of the, it's not quite out in the wild yet, except on Twitter. What are some of the, like, anticipated interesting use cases of a buffalo emoji i mean besides like when you're talking about hunting buffalo or eating buffalo or visiting buffalo new york like what are like how else do you see this being used yeah i think um i think it'll be one one thing i did in doing the proposal was i indexed people explicitly asking for one on twitter uh, and it was particularly popular among people who went to a college where the mascot is a bison, uh, especially University of Colorado and Howard University came up a lot. Uh, and I think I think that like state local college that like pride in where you're from or who you are, that that'll be a key use for it. Um, I also and I also think in general with animals, they. Uh, they're a really interesting use case for emoji because there's a there's an internet linguist named Gretchen McCulloch who uh, wrote a really interesting article about uh, just the overall current emoji standards and whether they work very well. And one thing she picked out is that people really, really prefer faces uh, over like entire bodies of things. Like we use faces almost whenever we can rather than a body. Uh, so I'm curious how the bison will get used, and also I'm curious if any developers will draw it as just the face, because like I think it's recognizable that way, but also the profile of the animal is probably more distinctive. Uh, so it's sort of like I didn't tell them which one to do, and I'm curious like if I open my iPhone one day, will there be just the face of the bison on there? I don't know. It's funny. I mean, that emoji, like new emoji come out. Like, oh, have you seen the new emoji? Do you update your phone and get the new emoji? This one is coming out, you said, in the fall in October? Yeah, they don't they don't give a specific date. And I think I think it's kind of whenever each company gets around to it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think it's like yeah. it's tied to an Apple update. Like it's not something Unicode controls, I assume. But yeah. I mean, you must be excited to use use that emoji. Do you have any sense of like do you think you'll be using it a lot? Yeah, it's it's um well, also, like, the the show gets way into a lot of, like, very personal things about my, my family and my dad and things that are also a reason for it. So there is that. And also just I am excited to uh, 
have it exist uh, and be part of part of something I, I uh, contributed to a bit. And, and I had a lot of uh, friends and loved ones help with it. It's, it's been kind of a, uh, a journey that's let me talk to a lot of people I didn't think I'd talk to and uh, just learn a lot of things I didn't expect to learn. And, and I love to like gain a, a wider appreciation of the world. So, so how long yeah. was this journey? Like how long for, did it take you to kind of put all this together? Yeah, I think I, I know I finished the proposal at the end of March uh, in 2019, and then uh, it was approved in January 2020. Um, and I also, there was also like a lot of help from people at Unicode. Like there, there, once I sent the proposal, there was a whole back and forth with a great guy named Craig Cummings, who like uh, volunteers specifically on the animal emoji set. Uh, and so he like helped me out with, Hey, here's some formatting things you can do. This is another pitch for the bison you hadn't thought of. And so it was a very like collaborative experience between working with Julia on the art and Unicode on the proposal. It was like uh, a lot more people involved than I expected. It was great. It's interesting because I assume, unlike Jeopardy, you did not get paid for this in any, or were, you were not compensated for this work in any way, besides the glory and the stories. Is that right? <laughs> Yeah, I actually, and I, when well, I paid Julia and, uh, and spent time on it. And so I, yeah, it actually cost a little money, uh, but that's worth it. Like it's, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's really fine. Cool. That's fine. Yeah. I, but, I don't get a penny every time people use it or something. That would be great. <laughs> do, but also it's occurring to me as we talk like Unicode, is that also volunteer run? Are those people being paid? Yeah. Unicode. So also Unicode has a membership uh, almost, I, I guess the almost like the UN Security Council or something. But it's a thing where there are voting members of Unicode, and it's because companies pay to be part of it. And last I looked, the group was like eight or nine huge tech companies, and Netflix and the government of Oman were the ones paying. And so then people who work with or are associated with those places then volunteer their time for free. Uh, to help them out. I think I think there might be a few paid like directors or presidents or something because they, they maybe do it full time. But it's mostly uh, just very thoughtful, diligent tech people volunteering to improve the keyboard. Yeah, it's interesting if you think about, I mean, this is like, this is a thing in tech, right? It's like exploiting labor. And I don't think this is exactly it. But it's interesting if you think about uh, just all these people who are like kind of volunteering their time, both yourself and these Unicode executives who are not only approving your proposal, but also working with you to improve your proposal um, to just kind of make emoji more pleasant and more robust. And uh, I don't know, to improve this new communication medium. Like it's, it's yeah. interesting that all this is kind of being done for free by volunteers who just like doing it, I guess. Or companies who are paying to participate in the process, which is another level. Yeah, and that and the companies are are almost bankrolling it as a generous gesture. A, a few of them apparently, like the apparently the Sultanate of Oman, and I don't mean to speak for them, but uh, apparently they are involved uh, chiefly to make sure that like keyboards support Arabic really effectively because it's it's not necessarily supported everywhere. Um, and so like it's a lot of uh, that kind of Wikipedia spirit of people trying to just grow and uh, complete and improve the the uh, digital record of everything. Like, I guess their latest project is Mayan language hieroglyphics for um, huh. digital records, because their their argument is if we don't uh, encode things like that and make things like that available, then as all of our records of things become more and more digital, we'll just lose the stuff that Unicode didn't cover, which I think is probably true. Yeah. Has this at all changed your perspective on emoji and the way they are kind of emerging as 
you know, I don't know, part of our language maybe? Is that right? Is our emoji part of our language now? Yeah, there's, uh, and, and Family Tree of Podcast continues, there's a show called Lingthusiasm uh, by Gretchen McCullough and Lauren Gaughan, and they're both, they're both like professional linguists. They don't just deal with the internet or just with emoji, but they, uh, they have some great stuff on the idea that emoji are like gestures. Uh, so when you're using text to communicate with people, they can't see your face, they can't see what your hands are doing. Um, emoji are either either pretty literally a gesture because it's a face or a hand, or it's expressing some kind of enthusiasm or quality that you would put on what you're saying if you could physically or verbally gesture. And what kind of gesture do you think the buffalo implies? Like if I if I <laughs> text you like, I'll be right down, buffalo. Like what does that what does that mean? <laughs> Uh, uh, perhaps a herd is coming. I can't wait to find out. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it projects like strength. Yeah. And like, I mean, Buffalo are like big and they go wherever they want. And like, you know, you can kind of draw from that. I guess I'm like wondering what animal proposal you could put together that would be rejected. You know, like if you, if you seriously took the time yeah. and you did the work, like what is an animal where they just be like, I'm sorry, just like no one cares about this at all. <laughs> Oh man. Well, yeah, I know because the I think one thing that helped the bison is that it's so important to. Uh, well, for one thing, there are bison in Europe, especially in the area of like Poland and Belarus. It's a, a separate European. That's bison. interesting because I always think of it as such an American, like like it's almost on the dollar bill, you know, like the on on the. Yeah. Ro- I, this is like this is I'm an American idiot, so this is like my fault. But you think of like the 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 roaming roaming in the plains and like it's like a very it's part of like very in the U.S. anyway. It's part of our American imagery, so I never think about bison in Europe, but that's interesting. I I stumbled upon them when I was trying to argue for what I thought was just an American animal. Yeah, I, I had no idea, and I, I hope people oh, love I'm it. Oh, relie- I'm relieved I'm not the only one. Yeah. <laughs> but that is true, but bison, not only an American animal, but like a Native American animal, right? Like there's a yes. lot of culture that's kind of associated with the bison in a way that there isn't for, I don't know, bats maybe. I guess bats, I'm sure, have culture too, but like... Yeah. The bison are, I don't know, like they, 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 fit in, they fit into history and culture in a way that is fairly unique. Is that right? Yeah, and, and exactly. So that was a lot of the argument was this is representative of like the whole uh, West in history, uh, West being like Western U.S., Western Canada, and then also many uh, Native American groups in the U.S. and Canada in particular have a lot of significance to it. And, uh, and, and it was just like, there were, you know, 30 to 60 million of them roaming the continent before, um, uh, mainly European people started, uh, reducing their numbers, let's say. Uh, so it's also just like a, I think at one point I also brought in, uh, there, there was one chunk of the proposal process where they asked, like, uh, is this image transitory or not? Like, is this a fad? Because if it's a fad, we're not going to do it. And so most animals, you can argue it's really, really not a fad. Uh, yeah, animals are not fads usually. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but at one point I argued. But I guess like, some are like, like a sloth yeah. is kind of like a meme at the moment. Is there a sloth emoji? There must be, because that's an animal that like oh. evokes something, right? I'm pretty sure there is, or they they might have even added it in the set of mine. I forget, but yeah, it's because it, it's like it's not just a fad; it's an but actual. I, I was species. just thinking, like when yeah. I think of like a fad animal, I yeah. guess I like a, like I think I guess I could, you could think of like memes or something. But buffalo, obviously, are like you know <laughs> a part of history and part of culture, and I, you know, yeah, it looks yeah. like the sloth was added in 2019, so there is a sloth emoji. Yeah, if it's Unicode 13.0, it's the same set as the bison. So uh, this is 12.0. This okay. is Unicode 12.0 for the sloth. So would you know what else is in like the bison's class? 
Yeah, somebody did uh, The Fly, which I think is a great ad. I couldn't believe that wasn't in there Oh, yet. yeah. Um, and The Beaver and The Woolly Mammoth. And uh, I apologize for forgetting the rest. But there were there were several animals in there, yeah. Woolly Mammoth is one where I'm struggling to think of how I'm going to use it. I guess something's old and yeah. slow, maybe. I, I'm not sure. Because there's one or two dinosaurs in there. They probably argued we should have an Ice Age animal. That's my guess, but but I don't really know. Yeah. Well, maybe one or two dinosaurs for representation, but you know. Yeah. Um, so that is coming out in October, and I encourage you guys to listen to the podcast, One Way to Make an Emoji, and I like that you did this, Alex. You're also going to release a fifth episode uh, when the emoji actually comes out to let everyone know it's out. So go and subscribe to that podcast if you want to know more about it. I mean, something we didn't really have a chance to talk about here is just like, why Buffalo? We kind of you mentioned that it's something you're interested in, but I think most of the thrust of the podcast really is like a lot of it is about your history with the Buffalo, which is really interesting as well. Um, so I encourage people to check that out. And Alex, hey. that's not the only podcast of yours I'm going to encourage them to check out. Oh man, because you also just started a new show, secretly incre- secret, incre- secretly incredibly fascinating. Yeah, uh, secretly incredibly fascinating or SIF pod, if you will. Um, great, I, I, so. Like, I mean, if you guys aren't getting it yet, Alex is an interesting dude. He's <laughs> like, has a wide range of cool interests, and he has a podcast <laughs> to kind of distill those and present them to us. So this is a, so I'm going to pull this up real quick. Some of the subjects you have covered on your podcast, which is just a few weeks old at this point, but you've covered a whole episode about topics like uh, the grocery store. Or the post office, so I, they're they're kind of like I mean mundane things yeah. um, that you did, and but actually like there's a lot of thought, a lot of history, a lot of um, just angles about these things that you interact with a million times a day that you never thought about. I guess like how do you identify? And this is a challenge I have on this podcast too. So now we're, we just get to talk shop for a minute. But like how do you identify random? things that are secretly fascinating because there's it's a secret you know like it's right there in the title like it's it is a like they have to be a little bit secretly fascinating so it's not obvious so how do you identify them yeah oh i love that question it's um i have some pretty endless docs and uh, spreadsheets even of like research i've been doing and and the run-up to putting this out because i i wanted to make sure not only would i have a few banks but uh, as as ideas but also some more to get into and uh i think the shortest answer is i love to find out why uh, an experience I'm having or a place I am or a thing I'm thinking about. I love to find out why there's there's more there than I expected, why it's a richer thing than I expected. Uh, and so uh, honestly, the, the process for finding topics lately has been like, something seems mundane to me, I write it down. And then later I do as much research as I can to find out what's cool about that, what's exciting. Uh, like the one that just came out is microwave ovens. I was uh, microwaving something and then realized I don't know much about that. And like, it, it's a very, uh, yeah, microwaves are reason crazy, it, but like, it's cool. Yeah. They're insane. Also, if you like take the side off of microwave, it's like extremely dangerous. Like they oh, yeah. are a weird household item. I guess I'm wondering, just like kind of looking around my apartment, if maybe everything is secretly fascinating. Like I'm just going to name some objects oh. around my apartment. You tell me if this like would qualify if you think you could do a podcast about it. Irons, like an iron and an ironing board. Yeah, I, some of the fun of making this show is I don't know yet, but I'm sure if I look into it, like like when did people start especially having that like what I think of as a modern 20th century iron where it plugs into the wall and you put 
water into it. Yeah. Like, like what were we doing before that? And just that? caring that they're closed and have wrinkles. I think yeah. probably the most surprising things of this podcast so far is that I have an iron in my apartment. Um, <laughs> but like, I'm just like, just like around like clocks. Um, yeah. I don't know. Listerine. Uh, speakers, like all of these things are like things that like I've, I feel like I know a lot about, but like, what is Listerine? Like, where does it come from? Does it work? Like there, there's, is, is anything potentially secretly fascinating? Have you, have you oh. dug into any topic and been like, boy, this one's really boring? <laughs> I, I think the answer is yes. Yeah. I, I, um, there, I can't think of any topics that I've looked into and been fully not interested in. I've just been picking my favorite so far. Uh, uh, that's a very nice question to ask too, because I, I hope that's how people feel about the show and the idea of it. Uh, I I was making the Cracked podcast for about three years, and I, I've made a lot of other shows from there. But I, when I was uh, developing this and, and figuring out how to make it, I really wanted it to be a show that I would like to make for a long, long time, like something something that would be fun and exciting to do a year from now or, or even further from now. And so so I think that's a lot of why. Like I I, I want to be endlessly astounded by stuff. I mean, it's interesting listening to the show because, um, as I mentioned earlier, like, you're a comedian and you're funny. Like, what in your mind is, like, the, I don't know, the balance between education and comedy? This is, like, a new genre of comedy that has emerged, I think, in the I mean, it's, I guess maybe since The Daily Show, really, but you talk about, like, John Oliver, Adam Ruins Everything, like, these kind of, like, informational comedy things that I think I could say your show fits into. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it's def- I want every episode to leave you with something fascinating, and and we had jokes and fun along the way. Absolutely. How do you deal with like balancing the comedy and the and the educational aspects of the show? Like, do you have a ratio in your mind? Like, it should be eighty twenty or fifty fifty, or how, <laughs> how do you how do you balance those? That's interesting. I think you know prep wise, it's interesting because I have I have different guests every episode, and, and and they've all been comedians so far. I'm I'm also open to the idea of like I find an expert and then and then I I do more of the bits, I guess. But um, it's been it's been an interesting show to make because I have almost exclusively been thinking about how do I make sure there's enough information in it, and then and then I I have no cap on how much humor we get to. Like we're we're gonna do the information, and then we'll try to find as many great jokes and and fun Just things. Try to, to squeeze in as, as much possible. of it as you can. Yeah. What has been your favorite episode thus far? Oh, um, you know I. Let me think for a second. Got it. As far as a favorite, it was an interesting. I, and, and I'm sure every podcast is like this before it launches. It just feels weird to make the first couple with no one hearing it and no one commenting on it beyond like somebody you show it to. Um, and the first episode was about U.S. post offices uh, and was and was taped, I, I would say, either right before or on, or on the, the initial stage of uh, recent destabilization of the United States postal system. Um, <laughs> and so not only was it nice to get to talk about how great it is in a way that's just sort of outside of that, and I, I hope supports it in, in some tiny way. Uh, but also hearing from uh, postal workers that they heard it while they were delivering letters has been cool. That That's ju- that's just like a really nice uh, thing for me to have in my head as I do stuff. And the postal service, I'm not saying, I mean, I'm going to level with you guys. I hate my local post office. They always <laughs> mess up my mail. But, you know, of course, I still love and support the Postal Service overall. And it is a miracle to me when you mail a letter and it, like, gets there. It's just a miracle. So I guess 
my my actual question here is, uh, what is the most interesting thing you learned about the post office doing this podcast? Yeah, um, it was it was f- a few things, but no, sorry, that's not a good answer. Um, it's a good answer if you list a few things, but if you just leave it there, it's like I don't I don't know. I might have to ask a, uh, rephrase the question or something. Right, right. I it's hard to pick just one favorite thing. It is definitely. It's, it, I feel like it was a great example of the whole show because the post office is such a part of the just wallpaper or background of life in America. And, and I don't know about postal systems in other countries so much, so I, I assume it's like that there too, but I don't really know. Um, but really learning that uh, within the, the tragic element of, uh, or really the tragic overarching thing of how the country grew and, and took over land, um, within that the post office was like, the uh, a sort of frontier thing that that laid out where where towns were and where places were, uh, and has like a weirdly central role in the entire history of the United States. Like it, it's not just a utility that the government happened to do while it did other stuff. Before the Civil War, it was most of what the U.S. government did, and then there were some laws and stuff on the side. Well, so if you guys want to hear more. Uh, about that, if you want to hear more stuff like that about a variety of topics, I highly recommend checking out. Uh, Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, the new podcast from Alex Schmidt, as well as his limited series podcast, One Way to Make an Emoji. Alex, is there anything else we should plug while we're here? You have like oh, some man. other weird project we have to cover? <laughs> no, I got I got my heads full with that stuff, and I, I, I'm, I'm just it? so thrilled if anybody uh, takes the time to check it out. I, I hope it uh, brings you some light and uh, and some interesting things. Uh, I'm sure it will. I think people who listen to this podcast uh, will... It, they're like um, easy marks for you. Like they should <laughs> definitely check out your show. Um, I think if you like learning about unusual things, um, Alex's uh, new podcast is a great place to go. So definitely oh, check it out. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show, breaking all this down. I have been waiting to do this since I got the email from you that the uh, Buffalo <laughs> emoji was accepted. I've been very excited to do it. Um, and the podcast was, you know, I was a little slow in podcasting land, but this was always going to be one of the first ones I recorded when I came back. I'm so glad uh, we were able to do it. Thank you so much. Man, this is great. And people people should know how patient Jeff Rubin has been because I because because he he was like, let's immediately do it. And I was like, I got to do my own podcast first. And uh, you've been oh, very patient about it. So not at all. That. I mean, I was I, <laughs> this is the first episode I've released in like six months or something. So it's patient slash a few other things. But um, no, uh, uh, you know, um, the, it's great. I love that you did this whole series that um, really digs into every element of how this thing came to be. Because yeah, like I had a lot of questions, and uh, I don't know. I was, I guess, I was kind of uh, p- pleased. I, I guess I was. I want to say proud. I, I love that you were like, "Oh, I know this is interesting enough for a podcast. I'm making my <laughs> own podcast about it. It's going to be a whole series." And like. I thought that was great. I, I love that you recognized that. Um, oh, thanks. And I'm glad that you did it. And it's a great podcast, so everyone should check it out. Man, thanks so much. Uh, yeah. Well, Alex, thank you again for stopping by. Did we do it all right? Thank you. <laughs> did we say thank you already? Thank you, Alex. <laughs> We're both so thankful. We are. <laughs> thanks. That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>